0: We made it happen. Jimmy was an incredible success. I don't know where he is, I gotta find him. Gosh, I don't oh, oh, oh. Oh, yeah, George, George, oh, George, George.
1: We did it, brother. Yes, we did. did. thanks to Dan, you know what, in the ring with Dan and with Benny, hey, brother, man, hey, he's about the most cat. I just love him to death. I love you. Thanks for having me. Hey, you're the best, I'm telling you, brother, in the ring with Dan and Benny. Yeah, we love you. Thank you so much, Dan. Oh, yeah.
0: Hello, friends, and welcome to another edition of Dan and Benny the Ring. I'm Dan Spaschino, joined, as always, by the original Long Island Ice B himself, Benny Scala. Benny, kind of a, what do they call that, a uh, a mixed blessing of sorts? Double-bladed sword tonight, good show, plus a uh, little bit of sad news. But other than that, how you doing?
1: I'm doing good, Dan. Yeah, you know, I, I met a great girl the other day.
0: I met a great girl. How's that going for you?
1: Well, so far, so good. It, we, we actually like to take long walks, and it's really, really nice. Uh, except I noticed that she always stops at fire hydrants and then she runs after the mailman.
0: Oh, jeez. <laughs> you got to stop meeting women at the SPCA. You? <laughs> right. Uh, you know, it's it's a shame, Benny. We, we talked about it top of the hour last week, another loss in the wrestling community. We were supposed to do a different show tonight, but we wanted to kind of transition. So why don't you kind of tell everybody what the original plan was and then... How how we're gonna how we're gonna honor what, what our plans were tonight? Yeah,
1: so a little bit different show today. Normally we have a guest, and actually today tonight our guest was going to be Mike Mantar Halleck, and uh, sadly he passed away the week before last. And uh, so the first part of the show is going to be a tribute to to Mike. And there's a lot of things that, about Mike that most of the average wrestling fans don't know. And then after that, we're going to talk about uh, the worst gimmicks of all time, and uh, we could probably stay on this topic. For the rest of the year until boogie claws,
0: <laughs> right? Yeah, uh, I mean, we, we we talked back and forth, you know, and it was because you, you posted some pictures. How many months ago with that? You you ran into Mike in Florida, and that kind of was what got the ball rolling for booking him on the show.
1: That was in April. Uh, we met at uh, Sam's Beach Bar in Hudson. Mike Mani actually came down for some business. And, uh, uh, Mike Mantar lived in, uh, I think Cape Carl, which was about three hours away. So he drove up and, uh, we all hung out for the evening. It was a great time. So yeah, it was only, what, three months ago.
0: Okay. Yeah. Cause, uh, we had had him booked originally a couple weeks back. We had to reschedule due to, uh, so he had a personal issue and we were going to have him on tonight. You got the late night call. Um, I saw the message. Yeah. you know, unfortunately. Life, life, life catches that has a bad way of catching up to you.
1: Yeah, and I mean the sad thing is he had done a TikTok video. I think it was like four days before he passed, and it was almost kind of chilling because he said, "You only die once, but you live every day." And then four days later, he was gone. It just you know something for everybody to kind of take note of that. You never know. You never know when your time is up. That's true. It it reminded me
0: of uh, Jim Helwig. The when when he patched things up and had the hall of fame ceremony and he came out on Monday night raw and he cut that promo about, you know, your, your heart beats its last breath. And, you know, no matter what happens in life, you live on indefinitely. And then died walking to his car the next, what, only a few hours later, the next morning. Uh, was, it was Yeah. Like
1: within 24 hours. Yeah. Wasn't it?
0: Yeah. And I mean, so sometimes stuff gets prophetic, but looking at, at Mike, I mean, everybody focuses so much on, on the Mantar gimmick just because it came out in the era, you know, it came out and obviously it's the, the I don't want to it's hard to talk about it without sounding critical, so I'm I'm going to dance around that, but it was, it, it wasn't um it wasn't going to highlight Wrestlemania or anything but Mike, uh, you had a couple of points, he was billed during his years as being from Crete but you mentioned yeah, he agree. actually, yes, yeah, he he grew he was uh, born and grew up in Omaha.
1: Yes, and actually neighbors with uh, Mad Dog Bashan Maurice Mad Dog Bashan, a former AWA multiple time world champion, mm-hmm. and uh, he actually when 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 Mike decided he wanted to go into wrestling, he sent him first to uh, Minneapolis to uh, Eddie Sharkey, and then when Mike decided that that training just wasn't working for him, I guess people don't really know that Mike Hallett. Was a uh, even though they did they, they just looked at this big giant guy and thought that, you know he that that was his whole thing but he actually was a four time in high school uh, finalist in the state wrestling championships won the state championship twice and I believe he was actually in consideration for the uh, the Olympic team that's how good he was right and um, so then uh, he eventually uh, finished his his wrestling training under uh, Boris Malenko.
0: Yeah, and correct me if I'm wrong, but he passed up a, a scholarship to Oklahoma. Right. When he, when he pursued wrestling, I mean, and you're talking Midwest, Nebraska, Oklahoma, uh, why that area. You think about literally the image of the corn-fed Middle American. You know, I I hate to say fat farm boy, but the fat farm boy wrestler, and he was one of the best in, in the state, one of the best in the country. So that that is a testament. Oh,
1: yeah. Yeah. And it's funny because initially uh, at the age of I think seven, his passion was hockey. Um, it wasn't wrestling. And I mean, I I have these these uh, mental images of Mike Mantar Halleck, you know, skating down the ice on a breakaway. Like if I was the goalie, I just
0: move out of the way. Here see, you, you can score. See, I I'd, I'd put a guy that size in the goal like. I, good, good luck sneaking right, the puck. Exactly. In a five yeah, he's hole. gonna get one by him, right? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. Although <laughs> he'd probably make a good enforcer, just go out there and just beat the beat the tar out of somebody for. for... I don't think
1: anybody's gonna try to cross check him to try to get the puck. Just just a guess.
0: <laughs> no, not not when you're that size and that tough. But yeah, he he trains under Malenko. Uh, he wrestled most of his career with the Catch Wrestling Association, and. What was it you were saying before? um, uh, Something about him and Ted DiBiase?
1: Well, so let me backtrack a little bit. Um, PN News, uh, whose real name was Paul New, they actually, if you look at Mantor and you look at uh, Paul New, they actually have a very, they look very similar. Mm -hmm. And uh, the the way that all came down was uh, Mike Halleck, Mantor, was in a bar and Paul New's brother, Johnny, uh, came up to him and said why are you ignoring me. Johnny? I mean he looked so much like his like PN news that Mike thought it was that's that's who Mike <laughs> thought of, and Johnny thought it, that it was, it was his own brother. I mean that's how similar they looked and uh I guess that that got uh um you know Johnny hooked up uh uh Mike with uh with uh, mm-hmm. Paul PN news and that's how he got the gig initially in catch wrestling under Otto Von's and former AWA champion who right. actually, Bought the title, but while in Germany, he got this. Uh, Dibiase was over there right after his, uh, you know, initial run in WWF. And uh, Ted told him, "You're, you know, you got a great look. You're, you know, you're very good in the ring." Now he was wrestling as Bruiser Mastino with right. a gangster gimmick, but using a yeah, lot not, of his, his wrestling.
0: Not to be confused with yes, the other Bruiser, Bruiser Mastino, you know, who would go on to become Kane. Glenn. Jacobs of Kane's many gimmicks? Right. Yeah. Exactly,
1: but. Uh you know, um, Dubiasty told him that he would place a call to McMahon. And, uh, you know, then eventually Mike got the call and uh, came back to yeah. the States.
0: And I think it's, it's worth noting during his w- when he transitioned to the Bruiser Mastino, his first match was actually a victory over Nikolai Volkov on a house show.
1: Yeah, I think he, he wrestled two matches in house shows, both as bruiser, mm-hmm. and he scored two victories over Nikolai. And then they, I guess, took about a three or four month break, I guess, while they repackaged him. And then he came, you know, then he came back as Mantor and he, you know, went on a major roll. He right. I guess when he wrestled Scott Hall at that point, he was billed as undefeated. I think he had probably lost a couple of matches at house shows, but uh and he lost that match, which is the match that most people remember him by. Uh, by a count-out to Scott Hall. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, and then um, he talked about it on his show, but obviously uh, Mantar had a short-lived connection with Jim Cornette. Uh, he was his manager for a few shows. Now, it's important to point out, back back then they would film the the Saturday night shows a couple of shows at a time, so they would film several weeks in advance, kind of like anybody today that goes, or I should say, maybe not live now, but the early days of NXT when they were at the uh, uh, when they were at Full Sail or uh, Crockett when, and later WCW when they filmed in, in in North Carolina and then later Orlando, where they would film several weeks of shows in a, in a row. So him and Cornette only worked together for a couple of hours, but it was spaced out over several weeks, which I think kind of is a good rub because, I mean, I was one of the top-ranked managers at the time. But, but didn't uh, they, they, they
1: pretty much told Cornette, like, with, like, zero no? Yeah, what,
0: Jim, what, the way Jim Cornette tells it, uh, Mike Halleck was getting ready to walk through the curtain. Like, he was at the gorilla position, and somebody tapped Cornette on the shoulder and was like, hey, you're managing this guy right now oh, shoot, tighten my tie, and let's get out there. So it was, that's, I mean, Cornette honestly thought it was a rib on him. But, hey, you know, it worked out, got everybody a little exposure, and here we are 30 years later still talking about it. Right,
1: and that's the thing is, you know, he, he did make an impact. We're still talking about
0: him. Yeah, but transitioning from Mantar, one of the more famous bad gimmicks, Mike also wrestled as a member of the truth commission, which we'll get to, uh, and he was tank during that, during that run. And he actually ended up in Memphis as tank of the truth commission, defeating Jerry Lawler to win the USWA world heavyweight championship, which, I mean, that's a huge rub. Anybody beating Lawler clean back then.
1: Yeah, you know, I think I- would, if, no, I mean, if there's any fact checkers out there, you can correct me, but I believe it was March fifteenth, nineteen ninety-seven in Memphis that he won the title. I, I believe he dropped it the following Monday night. So he had but still, I mean, hey, the guy you know, I mean the guy still, went to his grave knowing that he was a, a world champion. Yeah, it still
0: counts. And yeah. and that was the USWA was a very respected promotion. That wasn't some throwaway title in, in your friend's garage. Like that that's a prestigious championship to win.
1: Yeah, it had a certain amount of prestige to it. And if you look at the winners, you know, the, the previous title holders, I yeah. mean, all pretty decent wrestlers.
0: <laughs> That's very true. And and all, all good names. But like I mentioned, Tank, the Truth Commission, uh, we want to transition because we talked about this. You, you and I, over uh, obviously, since Mike's passing, how we were going to honor him tonight. So we talked about him. But since Mantar and his connection and then the Truth Commission, he's tied so strongly to bad gimmicks we wanted to do that and it's been a long time since we've done a show just us right and we wanted to talk tonight about bad gimmicks and there is anybody that's watched wrestling for more than a few minutes knows there is a lot of them but you and i we we threw some names out we we picked and choose and i'm going to give you first go because you brought up a group that i had completely forgotten about until you said something you mean so, the ding-dongs? Yes. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to let you talk about that wonderful idea.
1: All right. And I also had forgotten about these guys. Uh, my uh, my BWC brother, Hunter Hagee, reminded me about uh, this was Jim Hurd's, I guess I, I would say, not say finest creation, but they were built <laughs> from Belleville, Il- not Belleville, Illinois, but Belleville, USA. They had ridiculous orange costumes, you know, with, with uh, bells and they actually yeah. wore bells on their wrists, which actually became, they weren't very well put together because they actually became shrapnel in the ring because they had always fall off. Right. And, um, but they were, a uh, very brief run, they were annihilated in a squash match by the skyscrapers and then they were unmasked, which now, I mean, an unmasking to me is a very, how often does it happen? Not very often. And it should mean <laughs> something, Right. but they they unmasked these guys and it's like two jabronis. like I don't know these guys. yeah so it really didn't it really didn't mean anything. I guess they wrestled somewhere else's I can't think it was rock and roll something but uh, and their names were Sartori and I can't even remember the other guy's name now but you know no, but when they when they were unmasked nobody knew that who the hell they were right and that yeah, was I mean, that was really it. And I have the, getting... the a note here that if you look up the term drizzling shits in Web's, Webster's picture dictionary, You'll
0: see the ding dongs. Well, I got curious and I double checked. They were the rock and roll rebels. There
1: you go. Okay,
0: but it was Sartorius and it was I, I can't think Sart- the other guy's Sart- name. Sartain. Sartain, I was close. Yeah, I was yeah, Rick, Notorious. Rick Rick Sartain and Greg Evans were the. Oh, ding- okay. Which, of course, I mean, like you said, Jim heard the entire point, and if you listen to commentary in their match, the entire point was just other than, than someone to laugh at, was to give the announcers a few moments to make ding-dong jokes. <laughs> the whole thing was just terrible.
1: Of course, then Bailey revived it, like, you know, 30 <laughs> years later.
0: <laughs> right. Yeah, but but at least they, uh, uh her, hers her was a hair different. Yeah, a little bit, yeah. Yeah.
1: They weren't really that bad, either. They, they, no. It wasn't that they were so bad. It was just that the gimmick absolutely sucked.
0: No. Not at all. And speaking of speaking of talent saddled with bad gimmicks, uh, we the one that that first jumped to mind when you and I were throwing names out was the Red Rooster. That was the one I I, my first thought, because that was Terry Taylor. Now, little known fact, uh, wrestling fans out there, when the when the character Mr. Perfect was first created, in, in when the writers, or I should say the, the the creative was first coming up with Mr. Perfect, Terry Taylor was supposed to be Mr. Perfect. Kurt Henning was actually choice number two. And Terry Taylor had talent. He was a respected veteran. He worked well. He didn't hurt people. He had a good style. He had a good look. But the Red Rooster was exactly that. The Red Mohawk, the, you know, the, I'm not going to do the crowing, but
1: Paltry emotion.
0: Yeah, it, <laughs> it was it was awful. I mean, like you were saying, when we talked about it, he, Terry Taylor transitioned from 40 minute Broadways for the NWA title to a red Mohawk losing to the Brooklyn brawler. Right. In, yeah. In, it was in Steve a, yeah. Having having legitimate athletic competition. I mean, you know, he has that win over excuse me, he's got that win over Bobby Heenan. But even that was a competitive match, like you know, it was, it was a legit joke, and there was no salvaging that. And and I want to transition for a second when Terry Taylor left, and uh, later on in his career, and ended up in the early days of WCW, he had a gimmick called the Taylor Made Man that a lot of people oh, yeah. forget about, and the Taylor Made Man. It was, I mean, listen to this, Benny. This is an entirely original idea for those that don't remember. The tailor-made man was a millionaire who wore a gold suit with dollar signs on it and came out with a, with his manservant and would pay the crowd to do crazy things. And he, uh, uh, un- unheard of, I'd never seen anything like that before, you know, not counting Ted DiBiase, Ted, you know, the, the years <laughs> leading up to it. So clearly, tailor-made man wasn't based on anything. But that was another gimmick people saw right through. So poor, poor Terry Taylor, uh, phenomenal talent, just saddled with bad gimmicks and the red. Ro- if, if you cannot, cannot talk bad gimmicks without bringing up the red rooster.
1: And you know, like you said, now the guy in Mid South was the North American champion, which the North American Championship in Mid South Wrestling was a very prestigious territory title. Mm-hmm. And you know, having that title meant whenever the NWA champion was in town they got the title match and that's when he wrestled Rick Flair at the New Orleans Superdome. If you that match is on YouTube, that is a great match. I mean, very competitive match and and you know, Flair won. I think it was like in 42 minutes, but yeah. a tremendous tremendous match and you know, it goes from that to, you know, uh like you said, wrestling Steve Lombardi. And right. I think I mean, I really think it's one of those things where like the wrestler wasn't bad, the gimmick was just yeah. awful and it and it really ruined him going forwards.
0: It did. And, you know, that's funny that, that we we throw the uh, we throw poor Steve under there because he was another good <laughs> talent in the ring that was saddled with some crap gimmicks. Oh, yeah. And we're going to we're going to get to him, his poor run. But. You know, one of the things that that worked when we talked gimmicks at the time <laughs> was you, you mentioned, you know, obviously in the in the era of Mantar. That was an era when it seemed like everybody had a job. Now, one of the first one of the first podcast interviews I ever did was with Duke Drosy, who was a garbage man, Duke the Dumpster. I'm not going to talk about him. He that was a great interview. He's a great guy. Uh, the fact that at, he he had uh, a foot amputated and came back to wrestle later, you know, Kerry Von Eric style. So I got nothing against him, but in the era of Duke Drosy, there was another gimmick that I thought really stood out to me. And it's a shame because we talk about talent. There's a guy named Tony Anthony wrestled in the, throughout the South uh, as the dirty white dirty boy. Dirty white boy, yes. And when he came to the WWF, he had the agreement. Uh, he was working for Jim Cornette at the time. And Cornette traded some talent back and forth with the WWF they gave him the gimmick of TL hopper do you remember what TL hopper's job was Benny
1: <laughs> he was a was he a plumber I think
0: he was a plumber and he would right. come out with the plunger and use it to try and use it as a weapon and he was a wrestling plumber and it was horrible and and that's another one in the same vein as Terry Taylor phenomenal talent that it just an awful awful gimmick I mean who he, you always got to talk about the the marquee test, you know, headline WrestleMania, Bruno San Martino against T.L. Hopper Wrestling Plumber. Like what? What? At no point, no matter how good you are, is that gimmick ever going anywhere past the, the side show that, that no one's watching?
1: Well, you know, I heard that T.L. Hopper got arrested. Yeah. You know why? Why is that? He had 25 pounds of crack under his jeans. <laughs> You know, it's it's one of those things that you, you really think about it. Like, why did they do that? Like, did, when they created this gimmick, what did they think? Did they think it had any kind of long-term future? Because obviously it didn't. I mean, yep. what, what did they, how long did they think it was going to last? I think, sometimes I think these gimmicks were created more for Vince McMahon's amusement than anything else. Well, it's
0: funny because in that era, you had all these people with gimmicks and, other than Duke Drosey who winning a match against Hunter Hearst Helmsley came out number 30 at the Royal Rumble that year. So, I mean, I call it a push if you will, is all the, the under underneath guys. Remember the show we did with, with Randy Hogan talking about the underneath guys, every yes. company had them. This, this new generation era that the WWF was going through all the new generation talent, all the underneath guys had jobs. They had job-based gimmicks. Duke Drossy, T.L. Hopper, Salvatore Sincere, Freddie Joe Floyd. You had all these guys uh, that were just like you said, there's no way you you put the sketch pad together and come up with a wrestling plumber and think this guy's anything. And and again, it's such a shame because Tony Anthony is a phenomenal talent. Right. And I've never heard anything said bad about him as a person. But you get saddled with this horrible gimmick that can't possibly go anywhere
1: right yeah i mean it, it, there's obviously no long term future in it like well, i just i always wonder like what did they think how long did they think it? did they create it for a, a short term you know you would think that you when you create a gimmick
0: it's right for you know it's going to last at least for I don't know,
1: a year or two
0: yeah no that's very true but you talk about creating gimmicks that you know aren't going to last I go back, I said one of the first interviews I ever did was with Duke Drossi. My first show as as primary host uh, when I was working with our old program was a panel. I was, I was hosting a panel show, and Rico Constantino wrestled. Obviously, oh, yeah. Rico, uh, uh-huh. everybody loves Rico. He was on there, and we were talking about religion in wrestling. And you cannot talk about religion in wrestling without bringing up the friar ferguson gimmick and that was one of those gimmicks that whether it was going to last or not it ended pretty quickly because there was legit heat religious groups were reaching out to the wwf saying hey what is this crap i mean here's this fat friar with his little notepad sitting on people and uh that was rough but and he was he was smelly too, wasn't that part yeah, of the Yes. Yeah, okay. and speaking of being gross, he transitioned, Benny. Do you remember who Friar Ferguson transitioned he into? was before that, it was
1: Bastion Booger, right? Yes.
0: Or I should say transitioned from. And Bastion Booger, do you remember the uh, the the true? I mean, we always talk about legend being used too uh, too often, but you remember the true classic Survivor series match? Bam bam bigelow? Sebastian Booger and the Head Shrinkers against the Four Doinks, who ended oh, yeah. up being the Bushwhackers and Men on a Mission in clown makeup. That was uh, a different time. Stuff. Different time for for gimmicks back then, Benny.
1: And before that, he was uh, Norman the Lunatic, and then, and, and I think his real name was what Mike was Mike Shaw. Yeah. Okay, so he went from Norman the the Lunatic. Then he was Trucker Norm, and then he came to he came to WWF as. Uh, Bastion Booger and
0: yeah, that's that's where uh, where people go to die. G- gimmicks go to die. That is right. But um, Benny, I'm gonna give the next one to you when we were throwing names out because you're a uh, you're you always throw the baseball references. What's your what's a good baseball gimmick that you? Okay, so you take
1: <laughs> you take a guy like Steve Lombardi, solid wrestler. You know, career wrestler. You know, never like in the main event, but just solid. Always put on a good match. And then you you paint his head, you know, red, uh, white, and uh, white with red stitches. And I think at first they called him MVP. He was the original MVP. Mm-hmm. And then I think after that, they called him Abe Knuckleball Sh- Knuckleball Schwartz.
0: Yes. During, during they, they tried to use him to per, uh, get some heat from the baseball strike. That was in
1: 1994, right? That was during a strike, yeah. I believe
0: yeah, cause he had the baseball themed, like he would do the safe sign and slide in his matches, and then right. you know, wrestlers never go on strike.
1: wow. yeah, I mean, that was that was one that like I mean, what was the shelf life of that one? <laughs> well, it's soon
0: as soon as the uh, as soon as the strike was over.
1: but I mean, God bless Steve Lombardi because he transited I mean, he was the Brooklyn brawler. It was uh, wasn't he kimchi as well?
0: Yes, yeah, for, okay. for Kamala. And okay. and he did. He was one of the many wrestlers that put on the Doink makeup. Okay. In, in between, uh, in between, you know the the Doink transitions. Speaking of which, Dark Side of the Ring episode, uh, phenomenal, phenomenal episode.
1: But I mean, God bless the guy. I mean, he got a cashed a check for like thirty something years. So he did yeah. something right.
0: And you know, it's funny. There's a, a funny story. You, I don't know if you remember because you really didn't watch the, the the main product there was a run in the late I want to say the the late teens mid to late teens of wrestling where they had the raw special guest host and every week it was some celebrity everybody from uh, Freddie Prince Jr. to William Shatner to Bob Barker Betty White you name it every week there was some special wasn't, wasn't Steve O one of the yes. Okay. Yeah, they had they had anybody either the uh, they they liked wrestling they you know or or maybe it was just a random person. Um, like I'll admit, William Shatner had his episode had no business being that good, but one of the uh, there was a moment during that era when Z- um, the the Zach Ryder character started getting over, really really over like huge over. And of course it was organically, so they had to bury him. But before that, right. happened, they they the the one of the special guests was Hugh Jackman. And you know, I mean this is we talk about you know Tony Award-winning huge star, right? Hugh Jackman comes out and the crowd starts chanting, We Want Ryder. So he goes back and he gets Zack Ryder, and there's the whole thing. But the story goes that Hugh Jackman was a was a wrestling fan, and he didn't know that a lot of the older talent work in the, work in the back as agents and producers and all. And he was, he was talking about being worried that he wouldn't know a lot of the wrestlers. And they said that he pretty much fangirled over running into Steve Lombardi backstage because he's like, Oh my God, the Brooklyn brawler. And here's this, this award-winning actor. Who's like one of the most beloved people in Hollywood swooning over the Brooklyn brawler. Cause of how much, how fond he remembers them. Yeah. So some, sometimes it sticks just right, you know? Right. But uh, what, what else you got, Benny? What are you thinking?
1: Okay. So, how about the gobbledygooker who uh, I guess, like for weeks and weeks, we saw this egg mm-hmm. on TV, which I believe, if my my memory serves me correctly, actually hatched uh, in the, the 1990 Survivor Series. That's correct. And so, as bad as that was, and it was Hector Guerrero, correct?
0: Yes, it was Hector Guerrero, uh, yeah. Okay,
1: who, I think, was that before or after Lasertron?
0: Before or after what?
1: Lasertron.
0: <laughs> I, I don't
1: remember. A <laughs> couple of bad gimmicks. but um, So, I mean, that's the bad news, but the the good news was that was also the debut of, of The Undertaker. And yes. uh, I, I saw something online with uh, Mark Calloway where he thought, like, he knew that he, he saw this egg, and he thought he was going to come in as the Eggman. He was scared to death that, like, that was going to be his gimmick, that he was going to have to hatch out of this egg. Thankfully, he didn't.
0: <laughs> the gobbledy, And, of course, uh, uh, one of the—I the, don't want to say gimmick—one um, of the quirks of the gobbledygooker with all his his turkey, chicken, whatever the hell he was supposed to be, was Mean Gene Okerlund spoke gobbledygooker. So he was out there interviewing him while he's doing the cluck dance and making bird noises— And it was just, it was bad all around. I I hope he had a hell of a payday. (laughs) That's what, what, what would I, what would I, uh, now, now that we're on YouTube, Benny, how how much of a bonus would it take for you to do a gobbledygooker episode Uh, for me? I I mean, I'd do anything. I don't care. I mean, I
1: I have no shame.
0: (laughs) Like, uh, still, still, although I don't know, you, you never did get your mask back from your, from your infamous cousin. He's still he's
1: still MIA, yeah.
0: Still, still hiding in the mountains. Oh, in Italy, I don't know right? where the guy is now. Yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, you know, we we transition, we joke. One of the other gimmicks that came up, and it's it's kind of a a, a unique story in itself, was the gimmick of Saba Simba, and that was your idea. So I'm gonna give you, th- I'm gonna throw you that one to you.
1: Yeah, and I didn't. Really, I, I had to do a little bit of research. So I'm thinking like, why in that? Who did Tony Atlas piss off to have to do that? But as it turns out, he really didn't. I mean, I guess for a while there, he was he was homeless, and uh, I'm and I'm not sure. What, I don't even know the backstory behind that. But uh, came back to Vince McMahon, said, you know, can you give me some work? And I guess they were going to build him as the the African Warrior, and somehow it, it evolved into Sabu Simba. And I remember uh, watching. I think it was I don't know if it was his debut or not, but Roddy
0: Piper actually said, that that's Tony Atlas, and he started laughing.
1: But that that was a very, I think he lasted for one pay-per-view.
0: Yeah, he was in the, uh, he was in the, one of the Royal Rumbles. Okay. And he came out third or fourth and was eliminated pretty quickly. But yeah, it's, it's funny because it's one of those gimmicks. And uh, it, it, this is a term that's going to come up a lot tonight. It was very racist, very racially insensitive. Uh, You know, here's this big, I mean, Tony Atlas, you know, M- Mr. America, like, you know, everybody. I mean, and wrestling fans, their memories—they're not stupid. They know who that is. No, but he comes so out obvious. and he had the he had the flowery headdress, and he came out with the spear and the and the the shield, and he did the dance, and it was awful. But like you said, that gimmick, Tony Atlas credits that gimmick with saving his life because the the Saba Simba money is what he used to get back on his feet, and and basically get back into having a life again. Cause he was borderline homeless and broken and destitute. And it's, so it's
1: I it's mean, a shame you know, maybe like seven or eight years later, I mean, he could have been part of the nation of domination. If it, you know, the, just the timing was wrong.
0: Yeah. I, I don't, I mean, obviously with a, with a different gimmick, but oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. Which the nation of domination is a great example. When you look at, at, uh, everybody from Rocky, Maya to, uh, uh what is it i almost said kamala um comma the the fighting machine you know mark henry with the whole american pride gimmick that just didn't quite click and then sexual chocolate i mean all the pretty much the nation of domination all, all had terrible gimmicks at some point too right yes
1: they did they did
0: but yeah it's it's rough but you know you uh we we talked about mantar and and Saba Simba and one of the gimmicks that it came up and you and I both said it the same way we remember the famous Tony Schiavone call now we're going to bounce around a lot in history so we're going from the 90s to uh Hulk Hogan leaves WCW or leaves WWF joins WCW and he's in a feud with a group called the Dungeon of Doom now the Dungeon of Doom was literally just a collection of bad gimmicks designed to try and replicate the monster of the week lightning in a bottle that Hulkamania had in WWF. And here he is at the pay-per-view he's fighting, you know, uh, Kevin Sullivan and the shark and Zodiac. And we're going to get to some of these gimmicks later. And here comes a giant mummy, but it wasn't a mummy, Benny. It wasn't a mummy at all. Who was it? The Yeti? (laughs) The Yeti.
1: The Yeti, right.
0: Tony, old, old Tony Schiavone or Shivanto, the Yeti. And this mummy-looking goober gets in the ring, and I I don't know if it was supposed to be a bear hug, but he looks like he just starts humping Hulk Hogan, and it's awful. And then, of course, the Yeti transitioned into a, a, a phenomenal gimmick after that when he was Super Ninja Destroyer. Everyone remembers Super Ninja Destroyer. Oh, yeah. But you cannot... Have this era. I mean, you look at the Leprechaun and the Shark, and I mentioned the Zodiac, and we're we could do an entire show just on the Ed Leslie gimmicks, and we're gonna get to him in a second. But it was just bad gimmick after bad gimmick after bad gimmick, and you got to think, Benny, you're you're building up Hulk Hogan, biggest star in the world, biggest paycheck in your company, and you're gonna put him in the ring with a who? Who dressed the Yeti and was standing next to this mummy at gorilla position and said, pay-per-view gold, get out there?
1: They must have had Stockton Johnson and Johnson adhesive tape is the only thing I can
0: think of. (laughs) It's so bad. So bad. But I mentioned the Zodiac. Poor, poor, poor Ed Leslie. So people forget you had Hulk Hogan – And obviously there were some names, you know, we, we've talked about people on the show, like, like Jimmy Snuka and, you know, there were some people that were very big, but there was a period towards the end of the Hulkamania era where you could argue the second biggest star in the company, or be- biggest face in the company, I should say, was Brutus the Barber Beefcake. Oh, absolutely. He was, he was he, hugely I mean, over. Yeah. It, hugely over. Merch selling like crazy. Intercontinental champion, headline and paper. I mean, granted, I'm sure being Hogan's friend helped. But, and, and then of course, there's the transition. You know, uh, Brutus Beefcake started as the evil stri- uh, Chippendale gimmick of sorts and then slowly transitioned into the Butcher with the tassels and the clippers, because he cut started cutting hair, and then who can forget, you know, the 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 rocker splitting up and the and the barbershop window, but Ed Leslie leaves. He follows his buddy Hulk Hogan to WCW, and I'm just going to run down this list. So he becomes they, they can't call him the, the the butcher or excuse me they can't call him the uh, uh the, the, bar. the barber. Yeah. So he becomes Brother Brutai, and it's just a generic Hulk Hogan friend. Brother Brutai, then Hulk Hogan starts getting he starts getting attacked by this masked man, and during this time, Brother Brutai transitions into the Clip Master. That was very very short lived. So then the, the masked man gets unmasked, and it's Brother Brutai, and now he's the butcher. The and butcher, right? Starcade. Starcade 1994 the the largest non-wrestlemania pay-per-view in the world starcade and the main event is hulk hogan defending this title against the butcher that was wcw 1994 i mean who who goes into that thinking there's there's even even a 0.01% chance the butchers yeah, what winning the, the Vegas eyes on that one for the butcher yeah so poor butcher then butcher loses Loses not just the match, loses his memory. Butcher becomes the man with no name. You remember the man with no name, Benny?
1: Uh, I'll have to really go back and look for that
0: one. Well, you you can join the rest of, of wrestling fandom because I have been in conversations with people who were in the business at the time, and they forget And They, that. they, they forgot him. They forget this because at this point, the, the Butcher kind of uh, does a babyface turn. And so the other Kevin Sullivan and his followers, they beat him down. They beat him so bad. He's got amnesia. So man with no name. Then he starts wearing a mask because he's so beat up man with no face. They call him fun story there. Awful. So this is, this is five now five terrible gimmicks back to back to back to back to back. Right. So then introduce a new member of the dungeon of doom. And it's a character called the Zodiac face painted. Yes, no, no, yes, no with his everything is backwards another awful gimmick um I, I would say his promo skills improved because no one could yell yes or no with that kind of conviction but so i mean here you had is you know this this horrible gimmick that was goofy and things were already lost he was part of the tower of doom cage match we're gonna get to the rest of that junk to later but big plot twist benny It's a as as Vince Russo would say, it was a swerve, bro. The Zodiac was a plant. He was a spy working for Hulk Hogan this whole time. You know who he really was, Benny? He
1: was the Booty Man, wasn't he? He was
0: the Booty Man, the Butt Loving Booty Man, whose finishing move was a high knee to the face. Get it, Benny? High knee. Yeah, the high knee. That is that is the epitome of writing right there. Oh yeah. And so. Good old booty man. And of course, everybody remembers that clip of Hulk Hogan yelling booty, booty, booty. Oh, yeah. So the booty man kind of fades away. The NWO exists. And all of a sudden, Hulk Hogan introduces his new friend, the Disciple, Big D, bearded. A lot of fans didn't even know that was Ed Leslie because of the beard and and the glasses and the vest. The Disciple was kind of Hogan's lackey for this run. So, I mean, this was nine Bam, 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 bam. Bad gimmicks in a row. I mean, the the disciple. I wouldn't say that was a bad gimmick. Just, I mean, every every group needs a silent thug that's uh, a a a lackey to get beat up while Hulk Hogan runs away. (laughs) But poor poor Ed Leslie. We we could have done a whole show just on his back.
1: Those nine gimmicks. What was the time span of those nine gimmicks?
0: just under two and a half years because it was was 19 well about three years because 1993 to 1996 when he turned with the nwo so
1: so maybe like the the average shelf life of each gimmick was four months
0: give or take yeah yeah but uh four months too long as well four months too long well, what do you think of Well, what, what you got on your list over there?
1: Um, Who else do I have here? I have now here's, uh, and we had him on our show. Kizarni, Sinbodi. Yeah. Another phenomenal talent where, and he even said that it, the character itself should have been booked a lot differently. He thought it should have came in as, as an evil carny instead of, uh, you know, right. of what, what, it, what it was. And it, I mean, obviously it didn't last very long as either.
0: No, no, not in the slightest. But you know, there's another one like, like uh, Steve Lombardi, like Tony Atlas. When we interviewed, when we interviewed, uh, excuse me, when we interviewed Sin, he had nothing. He didn't have any. He didn't regret no lost sleep or anything over the Kazarni gimmick. No, he, he
1: his whole thing was he thought he should have came out and you know wrestled somebody named like like a Tajiri and just mm-hmm. annihilated him in a, in a squash match. And just booked, you know, as this evil, carny guy. And uh, obviously, I mean, he had that one match on TV versus MVP that he went over. And MVP was, I think, in the midst of a a losing streak. And he was almost becoming a baby face.
0: Yeah, that was part of the gimmick MVP was going through at the time. Right. When he went, yeah.
1: But I mean, the other thing I thought of, though, like, because I've given it a lot of thought over the years is that how could you even understand the guy? Mean like the, right. the, the, the 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 vignettes. He didn't really speak a whole lot. It was like you, know, you can kind of figure out what he was. Kizat and Kizanti, you can kind of figure out what he was saying. But if he cut a whole promo, I like what the hell does this guy say?
0: Right, that's funny.
1: But what? again, another very very talented guy, tremendously talented guy. Yeah, just not not a good gimmick.
0: No, not in the slightest. You know, uh, speaking of talent bad gimmicks what the the one of the ones that came up early in our conversations was he still wrestles today still one of the best pure talents on their roster in AEW is Dustin Rhodes and I, of course he made gold dust work he was evidence that a gimmick that could have fall, faltered and fallen apart and he did everything he could with that but your fans bear back, Benny. Yeah, the, the, the Tony Rose fan club. But but uh no no amount of talent could have saved when he transitioned to our friends at WCW as seven.
1: Uncle Fester
0: and, and good old seven. And you know what? I originally wanted to put Black Rain on my list. His his run in TNA as the yes. gold dust knockoff, right. but seven was worse.
1: And what was that whole deal when he came out as Seven and he pretty much crapped on the whole gimmick?
0: Yeah, he they had done the vignettes with him in the window and the white mask and the hat. And it was supposed to be this mysterious, spooky character. And then here comes Seven and the first words out of his mouth are, look at all this crap they're making me wear. <laughs> I and think he mentioned like, Uncle Fester. Yeah, he he cuts a whole promo on how terrible this gimmick is and and I'm so insulted to you know uh, to come to this company and be saddled with this garbage. I mean talk about dead out the door.
1: Was that what you, what you would call a worked shoot?
0: I uh, yeah, well WCW had a lot of those back then. Right. I mean remember I remember watching a uh I'm trying to remember which show it was, but Goldberg, it was Goldberg, Ke- Kevin Nash, Scott Steiner, they they were all in the main event. And there was a, Goldberg got jumped and the announcers straight up to uh, uh, Shivani and um, uh, who was the, Um, I'm trying to remember who he was talking to, but they start talking like, wait a minute, this isn't in the script. Who's that attacking Goldberg? Goldberg's supposed to finish this match. And they, they was, it was all, it was stuff like that. They tried right. to peel back the curtain constantly and it just all fell flat.
1: But again, you know, here's a, a man who's like is still wrestling 33 years later. Yeah. Great, great talent. You know, survived all these gimmicks.
0: Still, oh, absolutely. Still bringing it. And and made it work. I mean, Gold. you, you saw that with uh, poor Cody Rhodes and Stardust, how easily the Gold Dust gimmick could have failed. as yeah, I mean, like you
1: said, he made it work. I mean, yeah. I, I, I would not consider that a bad gimmick at all.
0: No, not at all. And even think remember the, the 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 night the attitude era Gold Dust when he had the green and he would come out with the ball guy Luna and have him on the chain, you know? Is that when he had Tourette's? <laughs> kind of, yeah. But then you you end up you, you see stuff like uh when they paired when they paired Gold Dust with Booker T and just pure gold in their in their oh, backstage yeah. gimmicks. Like, you know, it's just he could he could make everything work. And of course, you know the story where Dustin Rhodes actually offered to get breast implants as the Goldust character, and WWF turned him down. Said that was that was too much. Oh, I didn't know that. Jeez. <laughs> but who? It's uh, funny though. Like,
1: I mean, we're we're talking about like uh, Cody as Stardust and and Dustin as Seven, and then you got Dusty Rhodes with his uh, polka dot gimmick.
0: <laughs> yeah you know what though polka dot dusty Rhodes was one of the most over stars in the business at the time he made it work yeah yeah coming I, out I, with that i dance enjoyed it that. i mean and even sapphire I enjoyed sapphire yeah like, i forgot about sweet sapphire that that uh stripper leather policeman's hat that he come out wearing yeah <laughs> who, who who else you got on your list benny um let's see uh okay
1: and again another absolutely phenomenal talent that uh, Barry Windham, one of the greatest wrestlers, in my opinion, of the 80s. I mean, you take a a Mount Rushmore of the 1980s, -hmm. you got to put Barry Windham on there. He was one of the top three. And and then you book him as the Widowmaker and then the Stalker. Right. And I I, I don't know how long that lasted. Then he became one of the Blackjacks, right? Yeah,
0: him him and Bradshaw, the new Blackjacks. But again you know, I, and that's a shame. That I think they had it I mean obviously that wouldn't have wouldn't have gotten over the same way the the original blackjack did blackjacks did. But I think they both had a look. I think if if handled correctly the new blackjacks could have worked.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely 100% agree.
0: I mean and Barry Windham is one of those guys. Do you remember do you remember the West Texas Rednecks? Oh yeah, of course. You know, Kurt Henning and and Barry and Kendall Windham and uh Oh, no. Help me out, Benny. Who was the fourth West Texas redneck? Um
1: it was Kendall, Barry, Kurt. I can't think of the last one.
0: I, I know Virgil Vincent was with him for a little bit as the Curly Bill character, but... Uh-oh, I got to... Oh, I'm
1: having a brain freeze here.
0: Rock crap. Oh, Bobby Duncombe Jr.
1: Yes, yes. Okay. There you go.
0: We, we we both lose a point for that one.
1: Yeah, demerits.
0: <laughs> but um speaking of of that era of WCW. So so here's somebody that made it work. They brought in cuz this was of course everybody wants to talk about it the the transition during the ECW days when WCW signed Mike Awesome when he was still ECW champion. And right. that was I mean you know the money Night war is still serious business back then. So they bring in Mike Awesome, one of the best young talents, dominant ECW, huge following, and they saddle him with just bad stuff after bad stuff. And I want to focus on the two that stick out to me. One you brought up and that was his fat chick thriller era. Uh, yes. When he would come out with the let's say hefty ladies, well fed. And then of course he was the 70s guy with the, with the disco suits and the crazy dance. I mean, here's a guy that could have been a champion, a legit champion in that era against anybody. Mike Awesome could have had dominant matches against the, 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 the stars of WCW. You could have put him in there with Goldberg and DDP and Nash. You he, if he had been in WWF with, with your Steve Austin and The Rock, he could have done it all. But instead, he's a disco dancing fool and a man who prefers women on the plus size. How does that happen, Benny?
1: And, and I mean, like you said, the guy had the look. He had the skills. I mean, he was the complete package. Yeah.
0: Just awful. I mean, you you, you talked about that. How do you get that to that point where you're going to take this talent? Like, who looks at, at the fat chick thriller and sees that headlining a of- a pay-per-view marquee somewhere.
1: You know, I'm going to use – I've done, like, for the last 15 years, a number of home shows in the Tampa Bay area. And one of the things I do is people watch. And right. I'll, I'll watch somebody walk by with this ridiculous outfit. And I'll think to myself, okay, like, they went home. You know, they were at home in the morning. They, they you know, they got dressed. They looked in the mirror, and they said, I'm good. You know, and, and by the same token, he's like, you know – what what is what are they thinking? Like fat chick thriller? Like oh, I'm good, you know that? No,
0: <laughs> awful, awful. You know, I mean, they can't look look at look at that, Benny. That not not everybody can be as uh, shazzy dressed with you and your
1: hey, your man. Charlie
0: Harper shirts over there. Oh yeah. Hey, you know, all, all jokes aside, though, the, the very first two comments we've gotten since we've joined Monty and the Pharaoh on YouTube have both been female fans throwing themselves at you. I, you know,
1: you got to wait one. I mean,
0: was... we, we've been doing audio for almost three years now. We finally get to video. and it turns out you're the looker of the group. I know. Uh, go go it, figure, right? Yeah. I mean, I'm just going to need to start blurring my face on some of these videos. <laughs> I'll have to start wearing that mask again. <laughs> Well, when you find your cousin you can get yeah. it back You right. you
1: better buy one on amazon
0: <laughs> all those all those years ago but um yeah we got to
1: we got to bring up shockmaster we can't do the show without bringing up shockmaster
0: oh yeah no absolutely you how how's it go
1: uh, our partner is going to shock the world oh yeah and uh, you know, i've watched that video at least 100 times and it's like the uh, the uh, painting of the dogs playing cards you know, you look at it the hundredth time and you can see something you didn't see the previous 99 times. Right. You, you can always pick up a sound bite, like the Rick, Ric Flair in the background saying, oh, God. And then somebody <laughs> else saying, what did he fall? <laughs> like, you, that's and, the understatement of the century.
0: And you can hear the laughter. And, you know, it's it's one of those things where everybody remembers the Shockmaster. He bursts through the wall, falls over his 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 sparkly stormtrooper helmet falls off. And that's that was Fred Ottman, I mean, Tugboat and Typhoon. So, I mean, you've got a good background there. He a big man that can move, that can work. But let's say for a second, Benny, that Shockmaster doesn't trip. He bursts through the wall, and he comes in, and he's going to cut that promo. And there is, is a Stormtrooper helmet painted sparkly. And an oversized sleeveless jacket. And it's a dubbed over voice. Obviously, he's not talking. Definitely and Craig, if I'm wrong, wasn't James. it? Uh, who? It was, it's someone, it, it um, was someone. The f- voice was
1: Oli Anderson. Yeah,
0: that's it. I wanted yep. to say it was one of the Anderson oh, yeah. brothers, right? Yes. Yeah. But let's say, let's say hypothetically, Benny, I'm going to put you in the shoes of the booker for a second. So. The Shockmaster, Sting, you know, our opponent, our partner is going to shock the world because he is none other than the Shockmaster. The wall explodes. He bursts through. He doesn't fall. Do you still take that that, that Stormtrooper helmet, jacket-wearing, goof-looking guy seriously? It, it, it made his head look
1: like a potted plant. I mean, <laughs> and I mean, they really, they should have capitalized. They should have started selling the, the Shockmaster vests. That that would right. have that would have been a big celebration. You know, that's a that's something that nobody has ever really speculated. That's a great question. Like, what would have happened if the guy actually didn't fall? That that's really something that could be debated. Like, would he? I mean, how long would it would the gimmick have lasted then?
0: Yeah, I mean, it wouldn't have been hit. You could drop the helmet and push him as as the powerhouse like he was supposed to be. Right. You know, before he became that, they basically used the fall and made the Shockmaster clumsy as part of his gimmick.
1: But Would, would, would that have outlived RoboCop?
0: <laughs> I don't know. Ro- RoboCop ripped that... He ripped the cage, r- the door right off that Oh, cage. he really did, yeah. And you know what? RoboCop's another great example. If you watch him walk to the ring, he trips over one of the cords, one of the power cords going by the ramp and he almost eats it. Like you can see he, he kind of drags and catches his foot. Imagine if Robocop had shock mastered himself coming down the aisle. Oh yeah. Like what do you do at that point? Yeah. (laughs) Oh, that's too funny. You know, so, okay. But speaking of, of that, that era, um, another one that jumps out, this was, you know, WCW was having some some crazy gimmicks. They were going through some times, but they had some talent. WCW takes a beating because they had Steve Austin. They had Triple H. Uh, well, I guess he was uh, uh, terrorizing back then or terrorizing. One of the two Terror, uh, terrorizing You know, yes. Yeah, Scott Hall, Kevin Nash. You had some of the biggest stars in the company and they just didn't know what to do with them. Or they were they were green and they didn't let them grow before they moved on to other pastures.
1: Didn't they have Edge's Sexton Hardcastle?
0: <laughs> yeah, Edge, Edge Edge, wrestled with them for AJ Styles uh, right. towards the end of their, of their run with the company. But during this period, they had some talent. But I want to talk about Kevin Nash. Every, Of course, my favorite Kevin Nash gimmick was Super Shredder from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2. But that's just because I'm 40, so that that was perfectly targeted to me at, at the right age back then. Now, was that
1: before Master Blaster? <laughs> that, oh.
0: was, that was, uh, I believe that was in between Master Blaster and Vinny Vegas was those uh those gimmicks. But and that, how about, was that before Oz? I was just about to get to that one, uh, Benny. I'm going to let you talk about Oz. What, oh, what my God. That?
1: that is the most, uh, to me, that is the most hideous, horrible gimmick ever, like, Where did they come up with that? And how did that not ruin? I mean, I give a lot of credit to Kevin Nash for outliving that one.
0: Yeah. I mean, the the green robe and uh, Merlin coming out with, uh, I believe that was Kevin Sullivan under the Merlin costume. Yes, it was. Yes. And, I mean, you talk about, like you said, doomed for failure. There is no way anyone not under the influence of something illegal to buy in, in my state thought that was a good idea. I
1: mean, was there a room full of yes men? Like I mean, did not anybody say, "You know what? This really sucks."
0: Well, don't forget this is around the this is also some of the same leadership that wanted Rick Flair to abandon the Rick Flair gimmick and become Spartacus. Spartacus, that's right. And yeah. Dye, dye his hair and and or cut his hair, I mean, and uh be be the Roman th- and of course we saw with with the the first w uh, main roster WWE run of Carey and Cross how well the Spartacus gimmick could work. Right,
1: would they put a little cleft in his chin, like so? You get the Kurt Douglas look.
0: I'm I'm Spartacus. Yeah, but I will say Master Blaster, awful. Oz, awful. Vinny Vegas, you know it, where he would shoot the dice and and had the hey yo, you know Vinny Vinny, oh yo, you know the obvious goofy voice. I think that they could have maybe done something with that kind of like. When, when, when they had Scott Hall as the Diamond Stud. You know, right. I think, I, I mean, you're not going to, Diamond Stud's not going to headline Stargate, well, I'm mean, the butcher headline Starcade. so clearly the bar wasn't very high. But, you know, Vinny Vegas could have could have been a TV US champ. I could have seen that working, which I give Kevin Nash credit when, when they approached him for joining the WWF and he, he went to WCW management and said he didn't feel like wrestling anymore. He was going to go back to his bouncing and doing some old, some other stuff. And they, they let him go, and that weekend he was on a plane to Stanford. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I mean,
1: I I enjoyed Vinny Vegas. Yeah, wasn't, I, he, I, wasn't he hooked up with DDP at that time? Or no?
0: You know, I, I don't remember. I, I don't remember. I have this I vague memory so. of him
1: and DDP doing something. Maybe not.
0: I don't know. But, I mean, you had some gimmicks that, that back then that shouldn't have worked that did. I mean, one of my favorite wcw talent from that era was johnny b bad you know uh mark marrow and johnny b bad he he originally debuted as a as a fighting little richard impersonator right. people forget people forget that part i mean granted that was only for a few days before they kind of transitioned to the to the party and the, the the stick that shot the confetti and he the um how to put this politely flamboyant nature of the character uh, I mean, remember when we did our our pa- our classic pay-per-view review? We, we kind of glossed over some of the inappropriate things said during his match. Yes. But Johnny B. Bad was a gimmick that shouldn't have worked, and it did. And he was hugely over and hugely successful. Uh, but I don't know. I want to talk, though, because this is something we got to in the beginning. Um, when we talked about Saba Simba and some of the some of these gimmicks, you know, some of these gimmicks that haven't quite fit because a lot of them uh Kerwin White when they had Chavo in in the WWE as the uh if it ain't white it ain't right you know the golfer with the blonde with the fake blonde hair and the golf cart and you had some gimmicks that were just purely racial trash and I wanna talk because as as we get towards the end of the show, you mentioned uh when he transitioned away from Mantar, Mike Halleck joined the Truth Commission as tank. And of course, the Truth Commission had uh characters that would go on to be Kurgan uh and and Bull Buchanan. And of course, uh the second manager of the Truth Commission, the Jackal, is currently in AW, uh, Don Callis. A lot of people right, forget that's right. who that was. But I I want to talk about the Truth Commission for a second because there was a period in WWF history, the, the gang wars, when the Nation of Domination, original Nation of Domination, which included Crush and Savio Vega, when they had their split, Crush formed the Disciples of Apocalypse, Savio Vegas formed Los Periquis, which were Puerto Rican wrestlers. And then here comes the Truth Commission and the Truth Commission were based on the commission from South Africa, these were apartheid enforcers. Right. So I mean, you're talking about one of the most racist, horrible government for forms of government in, in the modern era. Uh, I mean, I, I'm not even going to get into the evils. I don't want to give it the time of day, but somebody greenlit creating a faction of, of jet, literal jackboot thugs designed to enforce and and honor the truth of of a South African racist government who uh, even even modern day Vince McMahon might not would not have greenlit that right was that how
1: far after colonel de beers was that
0: i'm not sure
1: actually because that was I mean, that was the same kind of gimmick in the awa right
0: yes yeah no you're right the, um, I guess, because w- the Truth Commission debuted in 96.
1: Yeah, so it would have been like way after, because the debaters yeah. would have been like in the mid to late 80s. So why would they revive that when, you're right, I, I mean, what, what, what were they thinking?
0: Well, I think it's interesting because the, I mentioned the Jackal being the second manager, because their first manager, uh, the Commandant, he was actually, he wasn't a wrestler. No, the he was an actor, was, right? yeah, yeah, Robert Smith. He was a South South African actor. Um, he had crossed paths with Bret Hart, and Bret Hart was the one that pitched, "Hey, this guy is really good. We we can do something with him." And of course, they're like, "Oh, you're South African. Great. You're going to be the general of a South African militia." And of course, they they ended up replacing him with the Jackal because they wanted a manager that could take bumps, and he was not he was right. not a physical competitor excuse me losing my voice talking all this horror but the the truth and reconciliation commission is in every history book it's it's funny because the the truth and reconciliation commission the, what the, what they were supposed to be inspired by was actually a good thing people people forget that part you know you're this is this is a group that was set up to give a voice. The end of apartheid. We're going to give a voice to the good people. But then you bring in the Truth Commission, and they're, they're heels. They're based on on the force that would would have kept the Truth and Reconciliation Commission away. Like I don't, I, I just can't wrap my mind to this day. Whenever people talk about bad gimmicks, that always jumps to the forefront because it was just in such poor taste it was in such just bad, it was bad timing because you figure nine ninety five is when the truth and reconciliation commission was formed. So, I mean, a lot of the, the reformations, the end of apartheid, the peace that came after a lot of that was already in motion by the summer of 96. And then here's these evil South Africans. It's, I mean, it would be the equivalent of, of, of bringing out a, I, I mean, I hate to say it, but, uh, You remember the, the, uh, Muhammad Hassan gimmick? Oh yeah,
1: absolutely.
0: I mean, here was a guy He was Muslim American in, in an era, uh, post nine 11 America. Like I'm, I'm mad at the way I'm treated in post nine 11 America. And uh, absolutely. You're absolutely right. I mean, there were stories of like Sikhs taking, you know, getting attacked on the street just because they looked wrong, even though the turban completely different religion, and what did they end up doing with Muhammad Hassan Benny? Not
1: That's only correct. was he
0: a heel, but it turns out he he was an actual terrorist the whole time. Right. It's 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 awful. Like it's uh, another
1: like phenomenal talent that yes. just was wasted.
0: No, absolutely.
1: Mark Capani, I think is his real name. Yeah, I think he's a principal now. Like I was about to
0: say, he just made news recently for for being uh, his his school profile was updated.
1: Right. I mean, thank God he landed on his feet, but they could have done so much more
0: with him. Yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. But it's funny because, <laughs> yeah. oh, it, it's it's when when you and I sat down and we were throwing ideas back, and there's some we didn't even we're not we didn't we're not even going to get to tonight as we wrap up. Um, but how many of the gimmicks that we talked about? This is bad. This is bad. Were 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 racist? Like based where they were just racially insensitive. They were racial in nature. Awful stuff. But sometimes it's blind. And I want to end on a... uh, Do you remember... We talked about it earlier when I was talking about the Zodiac and and the involvement of the Dungeon of Doom. They were in that Tower of Doom multi-tier cage match. It was Hulk Hogan and Randy Savage against pretty much the entire heel roster of WCW. The alliance to end Hulkamania where the four horsemen teamed up with the dungeon of doom and they brought in some enforcers, including old Z gangster who was the former Zeus, Tony Lister. And they had their other big man. And he was called when he first debuted, he was called the final solution. And I don't need, you don't need a history book to know why that is a bad idea. And That's one of those things where you miss it. You know, you, you say, uh, I mean, how does that get through? It's not like, it's not like that's uh, one person coming up with that idea. There's an entire team. There's, there's the, there's the product angle. There's the people that make the graphics. You have, you have somewhat of a writing staff, you have bookers and agents in the back. How does it get that far where he is on TV named after the order that, instituted the holocaust and no right. one thinks hey that's a good idea or that's a bad idea how does that happen
1: i mean who's who's in charge just awful stuff it's not like it's a small promotion this is like these are this is a major, major organization right. that this, this is was, going the
0: this was all the, way sa- to the top yeah, WCW was, and this was like I said, this was their their this was pre-NWO, obviously, because they were still trying to run run with the Hulkamania stuff. But they, of course, they they rebranded him the ultimate solution before before the pay per view, um, and of course, he would go on to to play Bane in Batman and Robin. So, eh, you know, I don't know which is worse, but he had. Uh, I mean, there comes a point when you see some of these gimmicks and we talked about it a lot when we were shooting ideas back and forth, like, how does it, how did one, how does it happen? But I'm going to throw the final thought to you, Benny, as we wrap up bad gimmicks. What, what are you thinking?
1: <laughs> There's just so many of them. And the, the sad thing is for a lot of these great wrestlers, it really, I mean, uh, Terry Taylor, he never recovered. Right. Uh, I mean, Barry Windham. Well, I mean, he was kind of, you know, a little bit further along in his career. So, I mean, but he never, never ascended to the heights he did when he was in the, you know, in the NWA. It just, yeah. it's just, it's a shame that a lot of these things, I mean, we, you know, I guess that to a certain extent, it's it's cool because 30 years later, we're laughing about him and, and these people are still relevant to a certain extent. But That's true. Mean, do you want to be thought of that way? Does Terry Taylor want to be known as the Red Rooster? Does this, you know, uh, uh, does Tony Anthony want to be an his Teal Hopper? I wouldn't think so. I wouldn't no. want to be. I, I will
0: say I saw I saw Fred Ottman at a wrestling convention about a year ago, and I would say half the merchandise at his table was, was Shockmaster themed. Oh, yeah. I mean, you're going to make money on it. Yeah. The thing
1: is, like, do you I mean, if you have any kind of pride – are you really I, you gonna gonna know what? Maybe maybe
0: you love it, maybe you don't. I will give them credit though. W WWE when they had their they had their legends line. Um, as you know, some of the some of the figures that have come out through the years, when they did a legend Shockmaster figure, he was upside down and backwards in the box. So it was, <laughs> it was him falling over the like oh, he was yeah. falling out of the package. Yeah, it was good stuff. But no, you're you're right. Some of these guys never recovered. Some of them, it, it's unfortunate that how much talent goes to the wayside. because I mean, Mike Halleck,
1: I mean, the, you know, the, the the gentleman we started with, I mean, he was out of wrestling probably on a full-time basis by the time he was 30. Yeah. And I, I mean, he got to go could have gotten a lot more mileage out of his career. I think, you know, Mantar really kind of put the, you know, put the kibosh yeah. in his career.
0: I mean, he came in to the biggest company in the world at the time and was saddled with a gimmick that they, they knew. I mean, you, like I said, the comments Jim Cornette made <clears throat> following Mike's passing they knew from day one this isn't going to work.
1: Right, and but the thing is, like, it'd be one thing if you had a, like a giant Gonzalez kind of guy who had limited skills. This is a guy who was like good enough to be considered for the Olympic team in wrestling.
0: Right. <clears throat> yeah, it's sad, Benny. It is, and <clears throat> you know, I, as much as I love this conversation, it's it's sad that how this episode came about. With Mike's passing, and that's unfortunate. We're, I mean, let's see, we're in July right now. It's it's almost coming up on the end almost of July. Across, our, next, yeah. our next episode will be the first week of August. And how many episodes this year have we have we started with a memorial section already?
1: It's way too sad. It's scary. I mean, who's going to be next?
0: I mean, you know, obviously we talked about Mike just in in recent weeks with with the Iron Sheik and Billy Graham, and it's just it. You know, I, I, I hate to, to cycle back to it. There was a, a good line years ago. that said, uh, you hit that point in life where life stops giving you things and starts taking them away.
1: Well, two of the gentlemen, Mike Jones, uh, a.k.a. Rocky Jones, Mike Masters, mm-hmm. and Dominic uh, from our show have passed yeah. away since they've been on our show. And then, you know, Mike Halleck, who is going to be on the show tonight, has passed away.
0: Yeah, it's scary. It's, it's sad. It, it, it is. is, it, is. It, and it's very sad. You know, You're right. But, and we wanted to focus when we spun off and did this show. Remember, we wanted to focus on, so I mean, it's, it's our, it's on our tagline, you know, celebrating wrestling storied past. You, you got to hear the stories before it's too late. How many stories, Dominic, know, I mean, we've had, you know, like you said, with Dom, we started with Dominic DiNucci and, and how many interview, great interviews are out there with, with Billy Graham and, 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 the the chic and then obviously on uh so you look at some of the guests we've had on our show when 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 the time comes down hopefully many many years down the road you know some of the great stories we've heard that that would never have been told if if people weren't right. given the opportunity like what we're doing Absolutely. you, know, you, you want to hear it so I, I tell you it's good stuff and for the uh the youtube and and our our podcast audience another another great episode Benny for the original Long Island ice Bee, Benny Scala. I'm Dan Spash. I have a good night, everyone, and we will see you next time we're in the ring. See you in the matches.